5. Please find Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to come back to this 18th verse tonight. And I want to continue a discussion about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you remember last week, we deviated from really the major meaning of this verse to talk for just a few minutes about the propriety of Christians drinking alcohol. And uh, as we talked about that, we wonder what is the Christian's relationship to alcohol. And if Paul says that we're not to be drunk with wine, does that mean that it's all right for us to, to drink but not to drink to excess? After I finished that message last week, I had several comments about it. I think the most entertaining one was after the sermon Uh, Brother Jim Love said, I'll drink to that. So, (laughs) But anyway, I don't think it's too hard for us to figure out from Scripture that God does not want Christians to drink alcohol. Uh, Christian, or alcohol, I should say, has potential for abuse. It's a temptation to us. It's not necessary for a Christian to put himself in the way of temptation. And then further, we think the Bible teaches that the standards for Christians are higher And there is no justifiable reason why we should partake in this. One of the things that we do when we we read the Bible, and preachers preach from the Bible, of course, is we take Old Testament scriptures and we apply those as New Testament principles. And, of course, that is one of the major functions of the New Testament. It's to help us to understand the Old Testament better. And if God says something about priests not being able to drink alcohol and kings can't drink alcohol, people who have been especially dedicated to God in different ways are not to drink alcohol, then there's probably some sort of a New Testament parallel to that. And of course, we do find out that is exactly the case because the New Testament calls those who are believers in Christ kings and priests. And the Bible also says that we are supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ And so under those kinds of parameters, I think it would be impossible for us to say that it would be all right for Christians to drink alcohol. But as I said, and I was preaching last week, that is not the main intention of Paul's teaching in this verse. Uh, uh, Talking about alcohol and wine and that, that's all a deviation from the main teaching. The primary teaching that Paul is trying to get across to us here is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And so we're going to begin a discussion of that tonight. And over actually the next three weeks... Uh, four sermons counting tonight that we're going to deal specifically with being filled with the Spirit. The next three sermons are about demonstrations of filling with the Spirit. So we will be talking about this for quite a while. What I'd like to us look now to look now in Ephesians chapter 5. If you'd stand with me, please. We're going to go back to verse number 15 and start there and read down through verse number 18. Ephesians 5, verse number 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight, we just ask you that you would bless in this message, help us to understand your word better. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I suppose that the first order of business as we talk about the filling of the Spirit is why that Paul makes such a comparison as he does. Why does he put this thing about being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit into the same verse? 
Well, I, I've read a lot of different explanations about this, and I'm not quite sure that in all the explanations that I've read that, that really anybody gets totally down to the heart of the matter and that everybody really understands exactly what Paul is talking about here. Um, but we certainly do know this, that, that Paul is speaking to people that he called had been darkened in their minds. They'd been living in the darkness of the world. The Ephesian people had taken part of all these different kinds of sins, and drunkenness was one of the things that played into the Ephesian religion. And so these Ephesian people had just come out of this, of this uh, terrible lifestyle, and the people around them were still living that way. So these different things were, were products of a darkened mind. And since the Ephesians had been called from darkness in to light, it wasn't becoming of them to live any longer in those old sins and those things that they used to do. So that particular piece of this whole thing, that's a pretty easy part to explain and to understand. But when it comes to this thing about being drunk with wine, wine in excess, being filled with the Spirit, I think that we have to look at this in a different way and and thinking here about what Paul means about the state of mind that Christians need to be in. So he's comparing the state of mind of being drunk with wine as to a person who's filled with the Spirit. And I think what we see here is that when a person is filled with either one of these things, if it's wine or being filled with the Spirit, there is something else outside of that person who's actually controlling him. Now, intoxicating wine would cause a person to lose self-control, and that loss of self-control leads him into wickedness and all kinds of depraved actions. Well, when we think about being filled with the Spirit, that also leads to a loss of control, but it leads us into holiness and righteousness. And so I think the comparison that Paul is trying to make here is that we are controlled by something that is outside of ourselves, And what we have to do is make sure that we are being controlled by the right power, the right entity. Now, there's a whole lot of confusion about being filled with the Spirit. Many people don't know exactly what the Bible is talking about when it says, be filled with the Spirit. What exactly does that mean? Well, that's what the message is going to be about tonight. We're going to talk about what the filling of the Spirit is and how we can get the filling of the Spirit. So I want to start with this this evening. What is the filling of the Spirit? Whatever it is, we do know this, that it's commanded, because right here in the Scripture, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And if this is something that's commanded, then it must be something that we can either accept or deny. There has to be some kind of a mental faculty that's involved with this in order for it to be done or not to be done. And so what I think that we have here is actually an act of the will. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, this is something that we must desire. It's something that we want, and we want God to do through us. And I certainly don't mean that any of us have the power to fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. That's God's work. But I think what God has given us in the Scriptures are certain conditions that have to be met in order for us to have the Spirit's filling. Now, to understand it better, I think one of the things that we really need to do is get rid of some of the misconceptions that people have about being filled with the Spirit. So we're going to look at this first negatively tonight, and I'm going to talk to you about what the filling of the Spirit is not. Now, there's several things I want to speak about here, and people are confused about this. But let's, let's start with things that the Spirit or filling of the Spirit is not. First of all, the filling of the Spirit is not a second work of grace. And by a second work of grace, 
I mean that there is not some kind of extra grace that we receive that's subsequent to salvation. I mean, there's not something that you're going to receive of the Spirit, some grace that you'll receive after you're saved that you did not get at the time that you were regenerated. Salvation is not a two-step process. There's not a second blessing that comes along, nothing like that that you're going to get after you're saved. Because the Bible teaches that when you repent of your sins and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that very moment you are saved and you're as saved as you're ever going to be. You've got all that God's going to give you right then as far as this idea of salvation is concerned. So what, uh, it can't be this, that we're receiving a second work of grace. Now, there are many of the people today, like the Charismatics, for instance, who, when they, when they speak about this, they're, they're talking about or equating the filling of the Spirit with, uh, with speaking in tongues. And so that Christians who have this extra outpouring of the Spirit, they are a special type of Christian. They're an elevated Christian. They've got a different, higher plane with spiritual life. And so they say, you've got to have that speaking with tongues in order to have the filling of the Spirit. But being filled with the Spirit has nothing at all to do with speaking with tongues. Paul doesn't even mention that in the Scripture here. And I would say, and I think uh, you would agree with me, most of you would at least, that if a person does speak with terms, uh, with tongues rather, he is definitely filled with the Spirit. The only problem is it's the wrong Spirit. Then secondly, being filled with the Spirit is not the baptism of the Spirit. Now often you'll hear people say, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And the meaning there uh, for many people is very close to what I've just spoken about because people think that being baptized in the Holy Spirit will mean that you speak with tongues or you have some kind of miracle gift that God has given you. There's some kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that's, that's the baptism in the Spirit. So they'll ask you, do you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And then if they don't equate it with this special outpouring of supernatural gifts, then they might think that uh, being baptized in the Spirit is the the same experience that you get in regeneration. You see, they think that when a person is saved, that they get baptized in the Spirit at that time, and that's what imparts into them the new spiritual life, and that's what makes them become part of the church. And that's a common belief among evangelicals today. And there are many Baptists who believe that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit at conversion. Well, I preached about that uh, during our Acts study. And I told you then, and I'm sticking with what I said then, that I do not believe that there's any such thing as Holy Spirit baptism today. Holy Spirit baptism was confined to at least, or at most, I should say, two instances in New Testament Scripture. The first one was on the day of Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. The church was empowered at that time, and the people became witnesses for Christ. On that day, the Holy Spirit came, and he came in a very unique way. And the power of the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon the church, and that was God's accreditation of the New Testament church. So the Holy Spirit, as you remember, came down as cloven tongues of fire and sat upon the people... And from that day forward, there was no doubt that these people were identified as the church of the living God, and they had the power to carry out Christ's commission. Now, the evidence that this happened, of course, was their changed lives. There there was no longer that timidity that they had before. They weren't those 120 disciples that were fearful and meeting in the upper room. Now God had emboldened them. He'd given them power. 
And then just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 people who got saved. And then, after those 3,000, there were as many as 20,000 people in Jerusalem who trusted the Lord. And then from there, the gospel began to spread all around the, new wor- uh, the whole known world in just a very short amount of time. But if there was a second baptism of the Spirit, and I'm skeptical that we would actually call it that, but it would have been in Acts chapter 10. And that's when the Holy Spirit fell on the household of Cornelius. And in that particular instance, that was to show that God was bringing Gentiles into the church, and now Gentiles are included in the covenant of grace. And besides those two events, the Bible never speaks anywhere about anyone being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I might say in addition to that, that in no case in the Scripture will you ever find that an individual was baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was always upon the church. It was always upon the group. And so it's not an individual event. It was a church event. So I don't believe that that exists for us today. The third thing, the, Holy, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit is not the indwelling of the Spirit. Whenever a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in that person. Every saved person has the same experience. And so this is not an act of the will. You don't get the indwelling of the Spirit because you accept it or, you, or it's refused you because you deny it. No, every single person who becomes a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit who comes to live in your heart. And so Paul would, would not need to and neither could he command the Holy Spirit to come to indwell anyone. That's something that a person receives at salvation. In fact, the Bible says that if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not even a Christian. You're not a Christian if you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about that. that this is something different. Fourthly, uh, the filling of the Spirit is not the progressive reception of the Spirit. In other words, being filled with the Spirit does not mean that when you get saved, that you get a small part of the Spirit. Then as you go through your Christian life and you're more faithful to the Lord, that God gives you progressively more and more of the Holy Spirit. No, that's not true either. Because when you get saved, you get all of the Spirit. And you get all of the Spirit that you're ever going to get. And every Christian possesses the Holy Spirit in the same measure. Fifthly, Filling of the Holy Spirit is not the sealing of the Spirit. Sealing of the Spirit is talked about in Ephesians 4, verse number 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. And also, the sealing of the Spirit is something that's given to all Christians when you come to Christ. You don't have to ask to be sealed by the Spirit. You don't have to pray about that. It's always going to be there. When you trust Christ, you get the seal of the Spirit. And when Paul describes this, he talks about it as something that is an earnest or or a guarantee. It's a pledge that God is going to redeem the whole man. Even the body will finally be redeemed. And the seal of the Spirit is God's guarantee of that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory." So the sealing of the Spirit is not something extraneous that's given by God. This is the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is this seal. 
And the Holy Spirit guarantees that we have salvation because the Spirit comes and He witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the sealing of the Holy Spirit is something that we'll never lose. Then, sixthly, the filling of the Spirit is not our work with God's approval. The filling of the Spirit is not when we just simply go out here and we do things for the Lord, we work in the church, we invite people to come, we're kind to our neighbors, and then after that, God just comes along and He puts His stamp of approval on all the work that we've done. That's not what it means. If it did... If it meant that, then that would mean that all the work that we do for the Lord is done in our own energy, and we just wait for the Lord to approve what we've done. So it's none of those things. Well, if it's not those things, then what is the filling of the Spirit? The filling of the Spirit, first of all, is complete submission. It begins with this. It begins with submission to the work and the will of God in our lives. Paul describes that in verse number 2 of this chapter, where he calls it our walk. Being filled with the Spirit is a daily walk with Christ. Day after day, letting God control our thoughts and our actions. Now, in that sense, of course, we're passive, because we allow God to fill us and, and to allow us to walk. But then we also find it's more than just being passive. This is an active thing, because we have to do the walking. God empowers us to walk, but we have to do the walking. And you don't walk without effort. So with that in mind, we could also say that being filled with the Spirit is complete determination. A few weeks ago, I was using the example of Forrest Gump. Remember when the drill sergeant came to him and asked him what his sole purpose in the army was? And he replied, to do whatever you tell me to do, drill sergeant, sir. And we start doing everything that God tells us to do. Well, how do we do that? We begin to look into God's Word. We, we look here and we find out exactly what is, what is it that God wants us to do. And so being filled will be contingent upon the things that God has said to do and not to do. Now, if we look right here in this chapter, part of this is to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And so when you as a Christian, you begin to separate yourself out from the world and you live a different lifestyle from the world, you have satisfied one of the criteria for being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes further than that. He says, don't fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He says, but rather reprove them. And so he says, you need to correct those things. You, you need to uh, correct people that are involved in worldly activities. And so when you do that, you've met another of the conditions. Verse number 15 says, See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so when you do that, you've met one more of the conditions of being filled with the Spirit. This verse says, Be not drunk with wine. And so you stay from away from that. You've met another condition of being filled with the Spirit. And the thing about it is, the Word of God is littered with all of these kinds of different things, different commands that God says to do in order to get this filling. So what you have to do as a Christian, you have to be a student of the Word. And you have to dig into the Word to find out what all of these things are. And finally, you'll come to the place that you'll say, what does God want me to do? Whatever you tell me to do, sovereign God, sir, that's exactly what I'll do. 
Now, do you see what I'm saying here? Even this command that Jesus gave in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And that's a condition. And if you're not determined to do what Jesus says in John 5, 39, to search the Scriptures, you won't find out all of these conditions that God has given in order to receive the filling. And let me also add that there is another way that you find out about it. What do you do? You come to church. You sit under the preaching of God's Word and you hear about these things. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Wouldn't that be a condition for filling of the Holy Spirit? Of course it is. But then to really understand this, I think that we have to call this complete permeation. Complete permeation with the Spirit of God. Now, here's where this whole idea of getting filled with the Spirit sort of gets mixed up. People think of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit because of the language there. It's sort of like being filled with some kind of a liquid or a substance, and that's what we call the filling of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not a liquid, and the Holy Spirit is not a, not a substance. He is a person. And lots of times you hear this being compared to, oh, well, the glass is empty or the, we have an empty vase. You, you have one that's partially full, one that's nearly full, one that's completely empty. And that whole idea is a totally wrong impression. The Holy Spirit is, not a, per, is a person, not a substance. So we don't need to think of this like, like emptying out our vessel in order that the Holy Spirit can come in and fill that vessel. Wayne Grudem has, a, has an interesting take on this. He compares it to a balloon. When you blow into a balloon, even if you blow just a little bit of air into a balloon, it's filled with air. If you blow more air into a balloon, it's still filled with air. But what happens is the balloon expands in order to receive that air. So the difference is the receptacle is changing. And that's what happens when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filling you, but the receptacle is changing. You have all the Holy Spirit that you'll ever get when you get saved. But as you live for him and you find out these commands and you get filled, the receptacle changes to receive him. So what is complete permeation? It's whatever takes total possession of your mind. You ever heard someone who's a very egotistical person and somebody says about them, you know, that guy is just so full of himself. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean that the only thing that he can think about, the only thing that he can talk about is himself. He's full of himself. If you have a teenager that falls in love with a love with a boy or a girl, what happens to them? Oh, man, their mind just goes crazy. They can't eat. They can't sleep. They walk around in a daze. That's all they ever think about. So being filled with the Spirit is like that. It's having him permeate your mind or as we would put it here in the analogy of Paul, it's to be under the influence. Now, let's go back to the beginning here. Paul says, be not drunk with wine. What does he mean by that? Don't be under the influence of wine. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. That's what Proverbs says. And it says, those that are deceived thereby, or we might say, those that are under the influence of that are not wise. When you get caught drunk driving, what do they call it? Driving under the influence. So the analogy 
of being filled with the Spirit as contrasted to being drunk with wine is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let him control your mind. Let him permeate your mind. So there has to be an outside controlling power. And that's what Paul is speaking about when he says to be filled. Now, the thing about this is God doesn't want this to be a temporary condition. Being filled with the Spirit is not a temporary thing. When you get drunk with wine, you may even drink enough that you pass out. But eventually, the alcohol in your body metabolizes and you're no longer drunk. Well, God doesn't want this to be like that. This is not a temporary thing. This is to be a permanent thing, an everyday, nonstop condition. Now, what this does, when you understand it a little bit better, it stops all this thing about preachers preaching and and they get up at the invitation time and they say, now, come get your blessing. Come get your filling of the Holy Spirit. Come get the Spirit right now. Well, you can't do that because filling with the Holy Spirit is not like a shot glass experience. This is something that, that you have to live every day. You don't get tanked up on the Holy Spirit all of a sudden. It just doesn't happen that way. So we learn then what the filling is not. So let's now talk about this. And we learn what the filling is. Let's talk about how do we get the filling of the Spirit? How are we going to get it? Well, let's put it negatively and positively, just like we did in the first part of the message. Negatively, here's what we must do. We must not, we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, we go back to chapter 4, verse number 30 again. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed under the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? I preached four sermons, if you remember this, on four different sins that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 29. Lying, anger, stealing, and evil communications. And those are just some of the starting points of things that grieve the Holy Spirit. So whenever we yield to anything in our lives that's opposed to what God wants and opposed to God's Spirit in our life, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Passions and lust and desires that we ought not to have, all of those things grieve the Holy Spirit, and they will prevent you from being filled. Now, the real miracle about this is sort of like what I preached a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, and that is that God allows himself to be grieved. We can't even fathom that, can we really? That God, who doesn't have to be grieved, God who doesn't have to go anything through anything like that, yet he is grieved. Does God have to care about us? Does he really have to care? Well, the answer really in one sense is yes. In fact, God does have to care for us. And the reason why is because that's part of God's nature. He's a loving and he's a caring God. And so God's nature is always to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so when we go against him, we'll grieve the spirit. So God wants to control us, and he's grieved when his children decide that they're going to walk in a different path. Second thing, we must not quench him. This command is stated negatively in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Very simply, it says, quench not the spirit. Well, that's a very interesting analogy because actually uh, that terminology is taken from the Old Testament. It has an Old Testament meaning. And what it refers to is putting out the fire of the burnt offering on the altar. 
And God says that the fire on the burnt altar is never to be put out. That's to be a continual fire. And the illusion is that when God is working in your heart, that what he's doing, he's kindling a fire in you, and you're not to let that fire go out. You're not to do anything to quench that fire. Now, we do that, though. We begin to quench the Holy Spirit when we resist his influence. Now, the way that this happens for many Christians is they may come, become under conviction, under preaching. They know that the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in their life. And at that moment, as they're hearing a sermon being preached, they get stirred up about this, and they know, I've got to make a change. Something needs to take place here. But they don't do anything about it. The sermon may be about Christians living separated lives, and they may realize, well, there's a bad habit in my life. That thing needs to go. I need to get rid of that because God's not pleased with it. They might be driven by lust. There may be all kinds of things that are going on, and they know that they need to repent of that sin and get that right with God, but they resist the influence of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the preacher may be speaking about the need for people of God, the people of God, to be a witness, to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. And the moment that you hear that sermon and you're sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, you get convicted about that. And you say, I know this. I need to tell somebody about Jesus. So you get all charged up while you're sitting in the service and you walk out the door. But instead of going out there and doing what you said you're going to do, I'm going to speak to somebody about the Lord. You go do something else first. And you let that thing Take over what you're supposed to be doing and you forget all about what you, that feeling that you had in the service. You know, there's many a people of God that sit under sermons and they just squirm and get all antsy because the Spirit's working in their lives and it works real well while they're sitting right here. But as soon as they go out the door, the feeling's gone. And you know why? Because they resisted and they quench the Holy Spirit in their lives. The thing to do is when you feel that tug of the Holy Spirit and you know that God's work in your heart, don't resist that. Do something about it right then. If it's to repent of a sin that you're in, do it right then and make it right. If God's convicting you to go out and tell somebody about Jesus, go do it. Don't put it off. Because if you put it off, you won't do it. You'll quench the fire. So if you expect the filling of the Holy Spirit, you've got to do that. You, you can't quench him. You can't put out the fire when he's working. So those are things to avoid. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. But let's look at the positive side of this. Now, what do we really need to do to make sure that we get this filling? Well, first, we have to realize his presence. Well, why do I say that we have to realize his presence? Because we forget it, don't we? We forget it. That's exactly what happened to the Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Something happened in that Corinthian church. They forgot that they had the Holy Spirit. Now, he was always there. He hadn't left. He was, he was still an abiding presence in their hearts. But they'd forgotten about him. And they shut him out. And you, if you're going to have the feeling, you've got to realize that the Holy Spirit is with you. Now, sometimes it's not just that we've forgotten about him, but we choose to ignore him. We know he's there, but we act like we've forgotten him. We're just ignoring that he's there. You know, when you do that long enough, what will happen is the Holy Spirit reminds you right quickly that he's there. And that's when chastisement comes into your life. He's not going to let you get by. He's going to let you know that he's still there. 
The second thing that you have to do, you have to desire his presence. And sometimes this happens to us as well. Not only do we forget him, but there are times when we would just rather be without him. And what I mean is, when you get ready to go into that sin that you know is wrong, there's no doubt in your mind, you know it's wrong before you ever do it. You just wish that you did not have to put up with the Holy Spirit. Well, if you want to be filled, though, you have to desire his presence. And when you desire him, that's when you say, show me what I'm doing here. Show me when it's wrong. Convict me when it's wrong, because I want to stay right in the center of your will. And when you desire the Holy Spirit's presence, that is the same thing as saying that you desire his fellowship. Do you remember what happened to David? The times that he was depressed and, 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 and he'd sinned against God and he just couldn't get things right. He couldn't feel God's presence. Fellowship was broken. That brought him misery because he didn't have that, that fellowship with the Spirit. But then on the other hand, when David was full of confidence and when he knew that God was working, when no matter how bad things were, when he knew God was working, he wrote things like the 27th Psalm where he said, When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation." When my father and my mother forsake me, then will the Lord take me up. So David desired God's presence. His comfort was there when God's presence was there. Now, the wonderful thing about this is, is that God's presence is always there. God never moves. There were many times when David sinned against God, and what he did, that he, he got out of the orbit. His orbit kept expanding away from God. Now, God's still right there. He's in the center. God's not moved at all. But David's moving away. He's expanding. So the question about this whole thing is, is not where is God? Lots of people ask that. Well, where is God? And you get in trouble. You say, where is God? The problem is not where is God. The question is, where are you? God's still in the same place. The question is, are you going to be where God is? And are you doing what God wants? So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to realize the presence and you've got, to, you've got to desire God's presence. And then finally, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you must respond to His presence. You ever have the desire to read the Bible? Do you know why? That's because of the Holy Spirit's presence. Well, there are people in the world that they, they really don't care anything about reading the Bible. A lost man's not going to make that part of his daily routine. You know why? Because he doesn't have the Spirit in him. There's no indwelling Spirit there, so he's not interested in the Bible. But you do. You have it. And so when you feel conviction over that, I need to read the Bible, do it. Respond to the Spirit. If you ever have a desire to pray, why do you want to pray? It's because of the Holy Spirit that's in you. That's why I desire it. Now, when lost people pray, and they do sometimes, why do they pray? Well, they pray because they've got a problem. They don't love God. I mean, that's not really it. I mean, they don't adore God, and they don't want to worship God in their prayers. They've just got a problem. And so they go to God, and they bargain with God to help them get out of the misery or the problem that they're in. But we don't go to God for that reason. We simply go to him because we have a desire, because the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. 
And so when you have that desire to pray, pray. Don't resist the Spirit in that. If you've ever had a desire to tell somebody about Jesus, why do you have the desire? That's because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. When you go to work, you'll notice that your coworkers, they don't really care to talk about Jesus. You're not going to hear usually your coworkers strike up a conversation about Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is. They don't talk about that. You know why? They don't have Jesus. Jesus is not living in them, so they're not interested in that. But you do have Jesus living in you, and you should be interested in talking about him. So what happens here is people, if they do show any interest at all in talking about Jesus, you know why? It's because the Holy Spirit has already begun to work in their heart. They'll never have any interest in him until the Holy Spirit begins to work in their heart. Now, he may not be an abiding presence already, but he's working there to convict them and to bring them to salvation. But for you, you've always got the Holy Spirit there. The desire will always be there. And when you have the desire, you must respond, and then the presence of God will fill you. So a person who knows that Christ is there, the Holy Spirit is there, who knows or has a desire for God to be there, he's the one who will always say, come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own special way. If you do these things, you're on the way to being filled with the Spirit. There's no great mystery here really at all. The Word of God makes it clear to us. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, there are steps that you have to take. You're commanded to do it, but God only grants it when you take the steps that He tells you to take. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to preach your Word tonight. We ask you, Lord, you help us all to understand better about the filling of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we might seek it. I ask you, Lord, that we might desire your presence. And then, Lord, I also pray that everyone here as a Christian would respond to your call when you're working in our hearts. Let none of us quench you. We don't want to grieve you. We want to be pleasing to you in order that we might be filled. Bless in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.